where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of people in my bedroom. Oh, my bad. That was... <laughs> That's a bit creepy. <laughs> Hello, we're back. It's another Barry episode. A delightful one at that. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. I think we've got uh, some congratulations in order, Barry. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Since the last time we recorded together, James, uh, I have introduced a little boy to the world. That probably overstates my involvement in that process, but uh, (laughs) we have a beautiful little bonny boy and he's very happy. Yes, which is delightful. So we'll definitely get a, a round of drinks in to celebrate this fact. Excellent. Thank you, James. It's all right. This episode is Send in the Crane. It aired on 5th of January, 1989, was directed by James Burroughs and written by David Lloyd. Got a classic combination there with Dave and James. The two old favourites. It's a Frasier-heavy episode, as we could tell from the title, which is, of course, a reference to Send in the Clowns. Who who wrote that one? Stephen Sondheim is the one who wrote it for the 1973 musical A Little Night Music. Ah, there you go, James. Some more facts, and it's Sunday morning, and I haven't had breakfast yet. Well, you can snack on them facts. Get get them to tide you over until 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 the bacon. Are they calorifics facts? These are these are light facts. You can have many of these facts. You know, fill your boots with facts. <laughs> The cold open of this episode is Frasier trying to explain word association uh, to everyone in the bar, particularly Woody. Yes. It's it's a trope of psychiatrists, isn't it, word association? Yeah. And does it work, do you think? In the most generic of senses, yes, in that you could tell a bit about the person. But in order as a diagnostic tool... I'd say no. Like the way I phrased it, I said this to someone the other day, it's I have trains of thought, but they're driven by Casey Jones. Uh, and if you know of Casey Jones, he's from a Grateful Dead song. And he was a guy who crashed a train while, while high on coke. So I was like, I have trains of thought, they're just driven by Casey Jones. <laughs> Excellent. I, I wonder if there's any terrible... Uh, thriller films out there where it's ultimately solved by word association. Someone shouts something at the murderer who then reveals the location of the body without subconsciously thinking of it. Murder. Dave, my back garden. Damn. Oh, you've got me again. Well, this open is (laughs) a little bit pervy. It's It's a little bit pervy. It was a different time. And also it's a bit out of character for Woody, it felt like. One, because it's a bit more of a clever moment, a bit more of a cunning, uh, manipulative moment, you might say. And the other is because he's also not known for being a bit pervy. Yeah, it's always kind of... He's definitely demonstrated attraction to Rebecca or other women, but it's always been with some kind of innocence. It almost feels like this open was written for Sam, but they couldn't twist the naivety of the word association to fit him. So they flipped it for Woody. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So to explain, word association, Fraser tests it on Norm and Cliff by saying over, they say under, uh, above, below. And then he says bottom to Woody, who replies thermostat uh, for what is really just quite a simple gag. Yeah. And they all try to determine why would Woody say thermostat of all words and it, Fraser guesses it's because of the 
geographical placement of the thermostat within Woody's parents' house. It's in the basement or it's at the bottom of the stairs. He's not far off. It's just not Woody's house where it's placed. No. At which point Rebecca comes in to chastise Woody for adjusting the thermostat again. Uh, And then in order to adjust it in its strange position, sort of behind a bench, she has to reveal her derriere to the rest of the bar. Clothed. Clothed, yeah. It's not some kind of weird initiation ceremony. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the X-rated Cheers episode of uh, Legend. Yes, she, she bends over and therefore Woody has not only tricked her, but caught a glimpse of her backside. There you go. Which is a little, a little pervy. Very strange. I don't remember the thermostat in other episodes of Cheers, but <laughs> I, find, like, I find it... <laughs> Has this offended your continuity? <laughs> no, it's it's more the fact that it is a weird place to put a thermostat, and I don't remember it being there before. <laughs> it, it It's very much a gag. The episode fits the gag rather than the other way around. Yeah. But into the main episode, what we have in the main episode as the main plot is that Rebecca's trying to arrange a child's birthday party for one of her corporate overlords and requires a clown, because children are reputed to like clowns, even though it's not necessarily true. And I think, (laughs) uh, you know, I I can't remember the last time where a child has actually expressed enthusiasm or or desire to have a clown at their birthday party. I think they more just accept that they are there. There is nothing more sad uh, and lonely, and I don't mean this in a critical way, I just mean the very image of a man leaving a child's birthday party in clown costume, getting into whatever car he owns, and then driving away in full clown gear. That's a very lonely image, especially arriving back home if you're single, which a clown may well be, and just planting yourself on the sofa to have a a ready meal in front of the TV, still in full clown costume. It's a familiar juxtaposition the sad clown archetype. And I think it's been extended to all sorts of manners, whether you're looking at the Joker, particularly the Joaquin Phoenix one, or whether you're looking at a much more real and and tragic example of, say, Robin Williams. Mm. Yeah, there there must be some difficulty in... I think all, all of entertainment comes with this potential baggage of being adored in one moment and then having to switch off in another and not knowing what the purpose is in those off moments when you're not getting that adulation and that satisfaction. But I suppose that's why comedians and entertainers do get our admiration because mm. that's that's what they're putting in. That's what they're um, going through. I know Matthew Perry, for example, struggled a lot in his career, not just in Friends, but generally as a comedic actor he found when he didn't get the laugh he expected or wanted, he started to kind of get self-doubt and self-hatred because he felt he wasn't doing a good enough job. You know, so uh, imposter syndrome, uh, but in the entertainment sector, basically, is is what he felt quite often. Yeah, that's relatable. And uh, this is a very sombre conversation, born around what is essentially a thong gag (laughs) running through this episode. Yeah, the two storylines collide, which is quite good. Uh, Rebecca Mm. wants a clown. Woody loves the opportunity to be a clown. He's got a big box of clown stuff. Flower which squirts water in specifically Cliff's face. Uh, Yeah, 
Because it's funnier that way. It is funnier because Cliff uh, has a has a very punchable face. Is 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 what is what Rowan Atkinson said of Hugh Laurie once. (laughs) Rebecca agrees, as she always does, to do this strange non-work assignment that seems to be foisted upon her by her elders at this company, which I always find odd. And we revisit this in a couple of episodes, but. The fact that she's a bar manager, she has a very time-consuming job as it is. The idea that these bosses think that she's some item to be sort of thrown around at other menial tasks is quite surprising. Do you think that it's a... We won't go too much into it because I think it would be rife for debate, but do you think it could be driven by a sexism aspect because we've seen in previous episodes that the majority of people at the Lillian Corporation are men. Yeah, I I definitely think there's an element of she will never be in a boys club. And and that's I think they're subtly acknowledging that, that she is desperate to be higher up and successful. And it's very clear that that will probably never happen. And perhaps the gender is a huge part of that. And also because they almost allude to her being like a glorified secretary in a way. She's a PA who does all these menial tasks that are outside a remit because that's what they assume she's there for. It was a different time. Well, Mm. I would say some would argue that that time hasn't changed as much as we'd like. Yeah, no, that's a valid point. But to get back to the farce, you know, because that's the good stuff. Rebecca has to find a clown. Woody's got a box of clown stuff. And I think we'll address what you mentioned with the thong, because this was an interesting, if weird, subplot. Uh, And then we'll talk Mm. about Sam's storyline, which was very Sam and quite disturbing. Uh, Yeah. But we'll get on to the one which was a little sleazy, but at the expense of just a husband and wife. Yeah. And I think over the next couple of episodes, we do see a little bit into Fraser and Lilith's bedroom window, if you like, yeah. So Lilith comes back from Paris. Oddly, again, in the next couple of episodes, this is alluded to as well, Fraser doesn't seem to really know or care where she is. Where the hell have you been? You were supposed to pick me up at the airport. Well, um, I didn't do a very good job of it, did I? <laughs> well, welcome home, dear. Where have you been? Paris. Perhaps you remember we liberated it during the war. As now that I recall, you did say something about it. Well, I've just been so damn busy. You do forgive me, don't you? Oh, of course. I could never stay mad at you. It's like she's been away for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so her gift from Paris, the the little item she's brought back in a little box, which I didn't expect it to go this way, was a leopard skin pouch for his uh, man items, uh, for for lack of a better word. Uh, Essentially a thong. Yeah which takes him back a little at first, but then he grows to the idea and agrees to try them on in the bathroom. Go on. Is that in character or out of character? I'm not sure. I think it's out of character to do it on his own volition, but because Mm. his wife, who I think awakens his inner sexual demons, has has brought brought (laughs) them, I, I I think he's up for it. You know, we've seen from abnormal psychology once she lets her hair down he'll do anything basically yeah that is true so anyway we now know as a result of this little exchange that 
Frasier is wearing a thong. That's all we need to know at the moment. And of course, that there's no way that will come back into the episode later on. Just, just accept this as a fact. So alongside this, at the same time, we have a call come into the bar, which Woody takes and passes over to Sam. It's a lady called Judy, who it becomes obvious from the side of the exchange we hear from Sam that she's going to come and visit. And he's quite excited about this. Yeah, because it's one of many Judies that Sam's dated. Yes. So he doesn't actually know which Judy it is. So a, a good look into Sam's shallowness as a man that some conquest from his past, unidentified conquest, is coming back. And that's good news for Sam. That'll do. <laughs> yeah. He's a man who lives off old memories, isn't he? Yeah. I often feel that Cheers is in some way, it's almost like we're just watching his descent into age and him having to change his sort of idea of what success is. And there's been a few episodes which have focused on that specifically. As the series is going on, it becomes harder and harder to picture him as the young playboy that he's (laughs) portrayed as. There's something about the way his clothes hang off him that makes him look a little more fragile than Sam Malone should be. So anyway, it seems that the bar staff uh, and punters have to remind Sam who this Judy is. And there's a nice line from Norm in there when all the bar staff seem to know more about his past conquests than he does. And Norm says it's because we were more invested than you. (laughs) They cared more. Well, they did because Sam himself is almost like a stage show, isn't it, for their entertainment. In fact, it's a good analogy for the sports star that they almost viewed him as his sport was women. Yeah, in a previous episode, he called himself the uh, Cy Young of skirt chasing. Cy Young was a baseball player who refused to retire. (laughs) (laughs) But no, this Judy was one which had a daughter. Sam didn't have a daughter with her, but she had a daughter. She was a divorcee, and they took this daughter to fairgrounds and things together. And he was the proverbial Uncle Sam, I think. Which is really sweet. And again, quite out of... Touchingly so, but quite out of character for Sam. Particularly at that age, you know, 74, not age of 74, but back in 74, you would think he'd still be very much a playboy and avoid any sort of commitment or responsibility, including surrogate guardianship. Yeah, which it was almost why, and we'll come to why I was slightly disappointed with this episode, but I think there was a real opportunity for pathos and emotion in this episode that never came. It was just sleaze, just laying on thick sleaze like lemon curd. We'll talk more about that later. But what happens is uh, Judy comes around and her daughter is all grown up. Sam is taken aback in a sleazy way. And uh, we'll, we'll tell you how that plays out. But that sets up Sam's conflict, if you do want to call it, for this episode. The fact that this woman he used to date and her daughter are both attractive. It's a very Sam problem, isn't it? It is, but uh, it, it all, again, coming back to the, the age Sam looks rather than his character, makes this more problematic. So the girl clearly looks sub-25, and Sam's instant sort of attraction to her without any thought, especially given their past relationship. This is someone who he pushed on the swings, and there is absolutely no link there in Sam's mind that 
this is now the same woman. Yeah. I don't know her exact age, but it's, I agree with you. It's between 21 and 25. She's old enough to drink. If she was on the swings 15 years ago, she'd be less than 25 easily. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So Sam does persuade them both to go out with him for the day. And when they arrive back, the mum is a little irked because Sam has clearly kept the daughter around in what should have been a date. And the mum asks for some Sam time and Sam agrees. So he's going to uh, obviously date the mum. Which sounds like the right thing to do, but we know how Sam is. In the meantime, should we talk about the cast? We'll talk about who the cast are for this episode. James, you know how much I love to hear you reel off the cast. It's one of my favourite bits of the episode. We've got uh, B.B. Newarth as Dr. Lilith Sternen, obviously. Sandal Bergman as Judy Marlowe. She also appeared in The Dean Martin Show, All That Jazz, Xanadu, Heart to Heart, Conan the Barbarian, Airplane 2, the sequel, The Great American Strip-Off, Dirty Dancing, Murder, She Wrote, Sliders, and many more, including an exercise video, Sandal Bergman's Body, in much the same way that Jane Fonda did a lot of exercise videos in the 80s. Chelsea Noble as Laurie Marlowe. This is Judy's daughter. She also appeared in Full House, Days of Our Lives, Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, Doogie Howser, MD, Seinfeld, and many more. Patricia Morrison as Mrs. Ridgway. This is the mother of the child which requires a clown. She made her film debut in 1935 in Reckless and went on to appear in Rangers of Fortune, One Night in Lisbon, Our Husbands Necessary, Hitler's Madman, Where Are Your Children, Tarzan and the Huntress, The Prince of Thieves, Have Gun Will Travel, and many more. Peter Schreiner is Pete, and Philip Pillman and Al Rosen are uncredited as Phil and Al. Excellent. Thank you, James. So, Fraser's in the bar. He feels his hands have gone a bit numb, which <laughs> worries him. You okay, bud? I'm a little concerned here, Norm. My fingers are tingling. My hands numb. My feet are cold. Either I'm having a heart attack or this new French underwear Lilith gave me is too tight. <laughs> ah, ah. Cancel the paramedics. Yes, the uh, the thong is obviously doing its job too well. We've all been there, James. We've all been there. Yeah, it's a curse, isn't it? It is, yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Woody, who has previously agreed to be Rebecca's clown, and I think it's it's something about Woody that says it's entirely charming that he has a whole clown suit and paraphernalia at home, whereas if Cliff had brought out a clown suit at home... Yeah, you'd want to put him on house arrest, wouldn't you? It's... Yeah. <laughs> and I just love that that innocence in everything that Woody does, which is why I found the cold open a little out of character. Woody, during all this, is also trying to get a part in a stage play. He suddenly finds that he is now playing Mark Anthony in Julius Caesar, and so, and so he can't do the, the clowning anymore. Mm. Do you know much about Mark Anthony as a character or historical figure? Uh, the only thing I do know is his famous speech or at least the opening line of the famous speech because all i know is that he was an advisor to caesar wasn't he yeah but with what's always thrown me is the name the name it's, always it's sounds not like a very latin name is it? no <laughs> mark <laughs> it's, 
I've heard the part in a play. I thought, oh, what's this interesting contemporary play? So yeah, Mark Anthony um, was the one who does that famous Friends, Romans, Countryman. Lend me your ears. But I know little more than that. Uh, my Shakespeare is is wanting. I, I studied about three different Shakespeare plays at school. And outside of that, I am a complete Philistine. Seen a few of them. And uh, quite they were quite good. Uh, Ian McKellen as King Lear, for example. Which, obviously, that's not a recent one. Ian McKellen's been doing it for 60 years. <laughs> yeah. He's obviously quite good. Yeah. <laughs> He's obviously quite good. Four stars, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, it's not always... It can be quite intimidating. Mm, yes. Shakespeare. And oh, I thought you meant Ian McKellen. <laughs> <laughs> Narratively, it's very good. You can see his influence in a lot of things. I think the precise words which are chosen because of the language difference doesn't hold up as well but in terms of the stories mm. you know there's n- i can't fault them you know you look at things like the <laughs> lion king you know which are you know based on based on hamlet you know i would love to see a uh, west end production of uh, shakespeare uh, and on the poster it says james marshall i can't fault this <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think that's high praise that, that, i mean that's just a <laughs> paraphrase of perfect isn't it faultless <laughs> Yes. Um, I annoyed an ex of mine when we were watching Paddington. And I went, it's, <laughs> I went, it's a perfect film. She went, it's not a perfect film. I went, well, what's wrong with it? She went, there's nothing wrong with it. And I went, well, then by definition, it's perfect. Ah, <laughs> oh, James. Why didn't that last? <laughs> yeah. She, <laughs> I think she just kind of shook her head and left the room. And me being so <laughs> passionately favourable of, of the first Paddington film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is a very good film, though. It is. Well, after after three pints, it's an emotional roller coaster. That film. <laughs> but anyway, Frasier still wearing this thong, despite it being a little tight, little uncomfortable. Woody essentially passes the baton, doesn't he? With some very little persuasion, Frasier agrees to take on the the clown mantle. He takes the box off. He goes. Woody's in a bit of a rush. Frasier's in a bit of a rush. We do see. Frasier in full clown garb, which I thought was interesting because later this year, or early in 1990, he would play a notorious clown in The Simpsons. Yes, of course. Yeah. Sideshow Bob. Secondary clown slash murderer. (laughs) But also one of the best things in those early Simpsons episodes. Yes. Very standout. There's a great line in this Cheers episode where go, it would take a big man to fill those shoes. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yeah. Well played. Well played. <laughs> but it, it's a double great line because it's a Woodyism as well, yeah. <laughs> uh, which suggests that Woody actually meant it literally. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Frasier is in this clown outfit. Meanwhile, Sam is trying to date both the mother and the daughter. And this is when I feel you needed to give him a slap. Yeah, and and also the rest of the bar as well. I think it's all very well for them to spectate and enjoy spectating his endeavours. We've called it before the erotic misadventures of Sam Malone. Yes, and 
But in this case, it almost feels like David Attenborough stepping in <laughs> and, and coaxing the, the gorilla into doing something. <laughs> Putting some uh, catnip on, on, on a tree so the jaguars get closer. Yes. Letting yeah. Barry White and go on. Do- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the bar are definitely having an effect on what happens here. They're complicit, basically, in this, this quite creepy act that Sam is attempting. So yeah, essentially he he wants to date the mother and the daughter, and he's th- trying to find a way to ask the daughter out. <sighs> Has many layers of filth. Yeah, but as Carla said, is it? I think it's Carla. Uh, mothers and daughters talk. There's no way that would go unknown. I'm sure it does in real life in some cases, but I mean, yeah, but it's the kind of thing where they end up on Jerry Springer or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dysfunction. To begin with. It's not a desirable situation for anyone, particularly if it's repeated dates. If it's happenstance, fine. But if everyone's aware. So anyway, this is happening. And before that section comes to a close, Woody drops one little nugget of information that sets up a gag later in the episode, which is that he's forgotten to tell Frasier about the handkerchief. You have no idea how lucky we are. That was Woody on the phone. He called to check up on us. That handkerchief is a trick handkerchief. If you would pull that out of your pocket, your pants would have fallen down around your ankles, and then we would have seen those skimpy underpants. Oh, good Lord. Well, that's not the half of it. You see, I took off that little French torture device that Lilitha got me earlier today. I've been doing this al fresco. <laughs> the crane's eggs is what came to, came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Don't forget the stalk. (laughs) Delivering them. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's wearing this, or we think he's wearing this thong. He's at this birthday party. He's got that flower, the gag flower. He's got, you know, the horn and everything. Things which children apparently love. Again, I'm I'm not sure what the comedic theory is behind why it works. There's a few comedic theories. Schadenfreude. Laughing at the other's expense. By squirting water in Cliff's face, you're laughing at Cliff. But when it's just the clown going, honk, that is, that's the sound a horn makes. I was a very literal child. <laughs> it's just going, yes, <laughs> yes, clown, that is a horn. <laughs> well done. Maybe it's some element of comfort in having your expectations proven. There's something about having a, we've all got a friend who will make the same joke endlessly. That's usually the kind of thing that, dads do and i'd better get practicing um but is is making poor jokes endlessly but those sort of things sometimes do get funnier in the retelling or multiple retelling because the expectation of it coming i guess is kind of comforting that's the whole concept of greeting norm isn't it that we expect a comeback and if norm just said hello that would in itself be funny it's not a funny line but it's the fact that he didn't say anything would he yeah, and and actually, it's a good setup. If you wanted an episode where Norm had done something wrong, he could come in and no one says Norm, and and you wouldn't need to explain anything. Instantly, you have uh oh, something's wrong. So those running jokes are a good thing. Anyway, we've we've digressed. We're simply talking about a clown <laughs> who is potentially about to reveal himself. Well, at the end, the eventually the gig goes well when he makes Rebecca the butt of the jokes by you know, squirting her in the face with water and 
everything like that. And they go, yes, yes, <laughs> look at that poor secretary. Uh, I'm not a secretary, I'm a bar manager. That happens. It seems to go quite well. Mrs. Ridgway comes along to say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Go, and then she goes, oh, my mother's arrived. And Mrs. Ridgway's already quite an elderly woman. So <laughs> her mother would be even more so. Yes. And we're actually at the end of the episode. We'll come back to the Sam uh, part in a minute. But the essentially, he goes off screen. <laughs> Dr. Crane, would you come here for a moment? I'd like you to meet my mother. Why, well, yes, I'd be delighted to. I've heard such wonderful things about her. <laughs> Good time, madam. Here's my handkerchief. No! Which is a, a, a sort of a decent way of playing that gag off screen, really. So, yeah, the Mrs. Ridgway's mother got an eyeful. So, yeah, yeah, a couple of clever little setups. But actually, for me, that whole setup felt like a bit of a missed opportunity. I felt like they could have done something clever. And they were almost alluding something clever, but it never played out. It, it's almost they got to the end and didn't know what to do. So they thought, well, we can't have him reveal himself to the party let's do something off screen that's that would be a bit a bit too far yeah it also became a bit of a farce because they were talking about the handkerchief and then he immediately forgets the handkerchief's purpose to offer it to someone which was a bit sort of forced really for me this kind of shows how having the limitation of just one location the bar actually has the potential to improve the writing because i think if he'd gone away the suspense of when he comes back and wondering what happened, knowing that he went with the handkerchief, with the thong, almost gives more opportunity to make a better gag and have it work better. But because we're on location and seeing it, they've almost had to avoid showing it. And that's why they do this off-screen thing. I think it would have worked better if he still hadn't known about the trick handkerchief, because as you say, the fact that he knows and then gives the mm. handkerchief anyway was was a was an odd contradiction. I think if the timing was just a bit different, while Rebecca was, say, drying her hair, that if Mrs. Ridgway's mother arrived then, and so she didn't have a chance to tell him about the handkerchief. Yeah, I, I can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to subvert your expectations by showing him the handkerchief existed. You're expecting him to reveal himself to the party. And then the relief that comes with, oh, it's, it's not happened. He's got away with it. It sets up another level of suspense because you know it's going to happen. But I just think they missed a bit of an opportunity. I think it could have been done a lot better. Speaking of missing opportunities, mm. how does Sam do? I've, well, that's a segue. Sam... Whether it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, well, luckily, Sam doesn't do, which is... Good news. So the daughter arrives in the bar. Uh, she is excited to see Sam, wants to ask him a question, which makes the other punters make noises in the background. Ooh, and ah, uh, you know, which she must have noticed. But anyway, we'll skip that. And Sam gets very excited, thinking this is it. Despite of having several rumblings, conscious rumblings throughout the episodes, his conscience has sort of given him hints that this is the wrong thing to do and he's ignored them. As he gets excited, the daughter, in fact, wants him to give her away at her wedding, which is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, I think Sam has mixed feelings towards it. Proud of her, but he's also a bit <laughs> insulted. <laughs> well, yeah, I, which is fair. But at the same time, 
I don't think any warmth comes out of Sam, which is what disappointed me. He simply is disappointed and a bit petulant that this is his opportunity gone. And actually, this is the girl he pushed on the swings. This is someone he formed a real bond with. And this is someone who loves him and looks up to him and feels enough for him that she'd want him to give her away, which is a huge deal. And his response is much more, oh, well, I'm I'm not going to get anything now. And I, I, I think that that hurt. There was an opportunity for real pathos there. And I said that at the start. This episode could have been a real chance for Sam to look warm and have some reflection. And it didn't happen. But as you've said before, James, the thing about sitcoms is they tend to return to ground zero at the end. And so maybe that isn't possible. I think what would have been a funny scene if even like they do in other shows, like when the credits roll, you see a scene uh, playing as the credits roll is him walking her down the aisle of her wedding, you know, to, to give her away. And he's just kind of muttering to himself and rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Or in his case, he'd probably be eyeing up the uh, bridesmaids or something similar. Walking down the aisle and immediately sitting down uh, in a pew and just (laughs) chatting up the maid of honour or something. Oh, well. So, uh, yes, Sam clearly remains Sam. Frasier, well, reveals himself, let's say, is the payoff of this episode. Is that someone at the door? That means it's trivia time. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. Got some lovely trivia here. Sam has dated a few Judies. What are their surnames? Ah, yes, I've preempted this one, James. No. Uh, we have a Johnson, a Patinsky, and a Chang. Correct. And of course, Marlow. Marlow being the, the one of attention in this episode. Very good, guy. Full points. That's four, four Judies. Um, if you were going through the alphabet and he's got four Judies, <laughs> how many women has Sam been with? Uh, many. What I find interesting is that he has a little black book where he puts these names in. And I don't know how they're organised. Like, because you can't arrange them alphabetically. You need to leave space from where you think you <laughs> you could put in one. It's like, oh, I've not dated anyone with an E at the start of their name. I'll leave space for that. <laughs> well, it could be, it could be like a file of facts, couldn't it? Overflowing. How would you organise your your? Oh, a spreadsheet. Yeah, would you have a spreadsheet? <laughs> it is the modern way, after all. Uh, uh, you know, encrypted, so that people didn't go. Why should have a, as a, as Mitt Romney once said, binders of women. <laughs> Lilith uh, brings back a thong for Frasier from Paris but where specifically does she buy the thong from? As in what boutique or which area of Paris? She tells us where she got the thong from Uh, The Louvre? It is They don't sell thongs at the Louvre anymore or at least they didn't a few years back much to my (laughs) chagrin (laughs) Um, Yes no, they sell jigsaw pieces with of the Mona Lisa. No, pieces, puzzle. <laughs> a single piece of a jigsaw. Um, wow, that, that's uh, capitalism gone mad. Yeah. Complete this joke. You hear about the human cannonball? What's the punchline? Oh, yes. It's something like, and I'm going to ruin it totally, he was of low calibre or something. It's hard to find a man of his calibre. 
Yeah, you've got the main, got the yeah. main word. Yeah, but and also ruined it as I expected. I would. It's interesting you say that because George went also ruined a joke in this episode. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll give you the setup. You tell me what the actual punchline would be, and I'll tell you what George went said. Uh, you hear about <laughs> the tightrope walker who went mad? Something about. No, I don't know. What, what's the... The actual answer should be, they had to throw a net over him. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah. And George Wendt says, under him. But, you know, because when you tightrope, you land on the net when you fall. Yeah. He said under him, despite that being what you do with any tightrope walker. The correct yeah. punchline should be over. Which is weird, because in word association, they got those two associated with each other over and under. Uh, so unless it's a very clever foreshadow. Yeah. That would be a very clever joke, wouldn't it? Okay, uh, my next one, James. Woody has or mentions three clown props that he has. Uh, can you list them? Uh, flower. Yeah, the squirting flower. Uh, the horn and the nose. Not the nose, no. It's a bit more broad than the other two. It's a joke book. Oh, I see. I thought I was going... I thought you meant like borders and literal dimensions. I went feet. <laughs> of course, a joke book. Yes. Uh, hence where those lines we've just discussed come from. Yeah. Uh, I've got no more questions. Trivia light this week. A bit trivia light, but we do have last call. What should we have as a special? Oh, so something revealing, perhaps. So I think we should go for uh, like a, a French drink. Perhaps. Oh, is there a French fancy? Maybe we can have a French fancy on the side. Mm, delightful. What is a French fancy? It's a, it's a, like a cupcake, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so well, we would have a French fancy on the side. Is there something family related? Maybe champagne for the wedding. Reluctantly attending and grumbling into a barmaid's ear. <laughs> a, a barmaid? Bridesmaid's ear. Let's Why cut not that both? Bit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, champagne and a French fancy. Oh, look at us going up market, James. I feel more elegant already. <laughs> Should you want to check out this French fancy, which is a dessert here in the UK for yourself, then check out our Patreon, where we list the recipes for house specials quite often. And uh, yeah, I think I think a French fancy, because of its elegance, has a good chance of being in this recipe book. Oh, you're making my mouth water, James. I can only apologise. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, this has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Mm-hmm.